Ladies and gentlemen, I have such a special episode on the Haskin Cast podcast for you guys right now. Hopefully you just listened to the interview that I did with Graham Bonnet and Bethany Heavenstone. I was so lucky to sit down with these two and uh, they were so generous with their time. I really appreciate it. Got so many great stories and such great insight into the music, into what's going on. And uh, it was it was just a blast. And it's a a rare occasion when I do an album review where I actually have the opportunity to sit down with one of the artists that was on the album and go over the songs. I was fortunate to do that with my friend Paul Newton, and we went over the Newton Rainbow Project. You also probably know Paul is the original bass player from Uriah Heep, as well as Spice. And uh, today I get to sit down with Graham and go over Michael Schenker's Assault Attack and get Bethany's input too, because she had to learn these songs. She performs a lot of them. And, uh, you know, coming in from an outside perspective of being uh, really intimate with the album, to hear her thoughts on it is also very interesting. So I'm really glad that she joined us for this. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to start digging right into it because I'm just so excited to go over this album with you guys. It's an album that has been with me for a good majority of my life. I've learned so much from it. I've enjoyed it hundreds of times. And let's get into it. Here is the first track, the opener and title, Assault Attack. What a great album opener. I mean, it really sets the tone for this is going to be a hard rock album. And the sound mix is great. But here's the deal. You got Martin Birch. You know, I don't know if he was credited on the album as just Martin Birch or Martin the Wasp or any of his many names that he went by. Uh, The Wasp is actually my favorite. I don't know why. But uh, when you got him on your team, you know, you're going to get a great sounding album. It just isn't going to go any other way. And you've got some great players on this album. Obviously, Michael Schenker on guitar, Graham Bonnet on vocals. You've got Chris Glenn on bass, Ted McKenna stepping in on drums after Cozy Powell's departure, and uh, Tommy I on keyboards. And it's such a solid sounding band. It sounds like they're really comfortable. They've been playing together for a long time, even though this all came together very quickly. And it just sounds fantastic. It's very tight. Uh, The musicians are very in sync with each other. Vocals are spectacular. I think this is, uh, you know, one of the earlier albums that I I knew from Graham uh, coming off of Rainbows Down to Earth. And it's always just stuck with me. And about one out of every hundred times I tried to sing the song, I almost did a halfway decent job of it. I can't compare to Graham. Won't ever try. But it's a lot of fun to sing because there's uh, some really good pitches in it. And it's just powerful. You know, you, you really sing this one from the gut. But let's hear what Graham had to say. What are your thoughts on it? Oh, my thoughts on it? Oh, mm-hmm. it was fucking awful. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the first, um, I think one of the first lyrics I made up. I was staying at Roger's house, Roger Glover's house, uh, sitting outside. It was kind of summertime-ish there. And uh, he had a pool. I thought that was kind of cool. And so I remember writing that thinking, um, is this making any freaking sense, you know? But it, it came sort of very quickly, mm-hmm. you know. And what were we talking about? We're talking about assault today. Yes. yes. Now, I was at Roger's house. I was, actually. 
because um, Roger had left his wife at that time. I was staying with her and our drum tech. Yeah, Michael's drum tech. And that, anyway, that was one of the first things I did. Graham went into a great story about Desert Song uh, at this point, but I'm going to save that part of the clip until we get to Desert Song, uh, which is song number five on the album. But coming up second was a song called Rocky to the Ground. love those little harmonics that we hear from Michael here and there. I love that this is really, a, you know, a slow shuffle. And if you guys listen to my Uriah Heap podcast, the Magicians podcast, you know that I love a good shuffle. Uriah Heap does a lot of them. Uh, and it's really nice to hear kind of a slow one, you know, a little more bluesy, got some really good low end to it, what Beth and me would call a crotch song for sure. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it's just a really powerful song. I love to Graham's vocals. I, I didn't get the chance to talk to him about it because it didn't dawn on me at the moment. But I, I love how he has this subtle vibrato that he uses, but he could also just stretch out a note very smoothly. Really great combination of this in this song in particular that I noticed. Um, a lot of it is just like a subtle vibrato at the end of a word, but it's there and you can hear it. You can feel it. It brings out a lot of dynamics in the song, I think. But just a great song. Um, some really powerful guitars from Michael. Love the drums on this. Uh, Ted's drum kit sounds fantastic. Uh, I had the, um, you know, the the fortune to see the Michael Schenker Fest show with with Graham and Ted McKenna was on drums. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us. But man, I'm so glad I got to see him perform because he was a monster behind the drums. He really was, and he had such a great sound, such a great feel to his playing. And I think this is a song that. While it might not seem it showcases it because you think of drummers, you think of flashy fills and things like that. But honestly, I think that that this is a song that really showcases talent to be able to play a song like this with this kind of precision, not really speed up the tempo and and just stay in that pocket the whole time. I, I think that's a great testament to what a solid drummer he was. So that's just my thought. But let's see what Graham thinks. Rocky to the Ground is a good, gritty song. I really love that one. I love the sound, the way the sound of the guitars works with the vocals on that is, yeah. is a huge highlight for me. What do you remember about that one? Oh, I just, I thought that was like, you know, a throwaway thingy. But then when I got into singing it, it was like, oh yeah, this it's, it's isn't bad. You know, it's a very sexy song. They called it the stripper song. Stripper song. Oh yeah. She loves that. I lo that was she one of my favorites one. to play. Mm -hmm. It's definitely all sort of, uh, you know, slow R&B, bluesy, yeah, whatever. And yeah. it, it was great to sing because every time I sing it, I sort of sing a little bit different. You know, mm -hmm. it's a very ad-lib track. But on the on the uh, album, obviously Martin uh, was doing the producing and said, oh, you know what we should do there again, Graham? So it was very, it was kind of worked out a little bit. Well, obviously, it had to sure. be. Yeah. yeah. So you're but, on the but talk about a crotch song. 
I mean, that, yeah, that one. Crap song is definitely one of them. Yes, no, for no. sure. Now, I've heard a lot of interviews that Graham has given over the years, but this story that he's about to tell is one I had no idea uh, happened. I had no idea the song was about this. So here's a little clip of Dancer, and then we're going to have Graham tell you what it's all about. Dancer is one that I've always loved. Did you have, was that written for somebody or about somebody? Yeah. That was about Tony Basil. I met Tony Basil in 1970, oh, I don't know, 1974 and 1975 when I first came to LA. I was with my ex-wife. She was going to do a TV show over here and it never happened. Went back to England and the show didn't happen. It was a comedy show. Tony, she was the uh, choreographer for the show. And I was in my wife's, my ex-wife's dressing room, just sitting there doing nothing. And uh, she comes in and started talking to me. And I thought, wow. And she had these dancers called the um, lockers. They were called the lockers. So they went, they did all this crazy kind of uh, Fred Astaire stuff. Mm -hmm. I said, where, where does all that dancing come from? And that's what she said. I copied a lot from Fred Astaire, his, his dance movements, where he was swinging across the room and then suddenly you know, put the lady down like this, you know, to sort of lay her over to one side. That's mm -hmm. a bit rude, doesn't it? But, you know, be like, skip it, skip it, skip it, skip it, skip it, then go, and hold it, then go off again. And that's what she did with her group. They all started at one point, the freezing a certain style, and they would go on with the dancing. And I said, God damn, I said, I've never seen anything like it. She had like four guys dancing with her, all different shapes and sizes. The guys weren't all thin and you know, good looking, whatever, you know, fat thin, in between, whatever, tall, short, but they all came together in the dance. And I said to her, um, well, so what do you do? What do you do with this? And she was going to do the, um, they were opening up for Cassius Clay, as he was back then, I think. Oh, wow. Muhammad Ali. And she said, well, we're going to go on, on into the boxing ring and do our thing before he comes on and kills somebody or whatever, whatever's going to happen. <laughs> you know, oh, I said, well, I hope he doesn't kill me. The boxing game has always Kind of, I don't know why people do it. Anyway, yeah. but that was what she was doing, things like that. And, you know, and teaching dance. And then suddenly she comes out with a record in England. Uh, hey, Nicky, it's a pity you don't understand. And that was like a big hit, number one. I think, bloody hell, it's, it's you, you know. And uh, so I kept sort of kept in touch with her, but I haven't spoken to her, seen her for years. Yeah. But uh, what a dancer. And it was written about her. So yeah. I was reading a, an article in... Uh, I think the Musical Express or the Melody Maker or something in England. And it was speaking about how she was a great dancer. And I got taught that line there. She's a great dancer. But she wasn't ideally built for ballet, not ideally built for ballet. So I, I ripped that off there and sort of took the song from there, you know, because I remember looking around, seeing all these kids standing on cars. That's another line in the song. They were all standing on cars watching. They were fascinated by this new kind of dancing. It was like then. 
Yeah. And I, I love the rhythm of that line, not ideally built for ballet. The way that you sing yeah. that, the rhythm of that is just, it just fits the song so well. Oh, yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Life is about that, you know, using syllables that will actually fit all the notes and whatever, mm. or fit perfectly into a song. You know, sometimes they, they sound like they should be perfect. Then I sing and go, no, that doesn't work. When you sing it, it sounds completely different to the way you hear it in your head mm-hmm. and write it down, you know, as you know. That, that yeah. written thing was suddenly got now. That word doesn't work. I've got to make it a short word. If it's like that, that, that you know, three syllables, mm-hmm. I cut it down to two or maybe one. And I do that all the time. That's why it usually takes me a long time because it's got to fit the singing voice as well as the reading of the lyric. Now, I'll tell you, that's what Roger would say to me. He said, you know, when I'm making up a, some lyric, he said, I go with a sound and then you take it from there. He said, just syllable, you know, anything. And that, we all go la, la, la. Or, or whoa, 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 or yeah, 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 whatever. But um, Bill Collins um, wrote a song called Susudio, mm-hmm. and it means nothing. He said, oh, that, S-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-
So you get kind of that that uh, motion in the rhythm that I'm talking about. But it seems to me, and it's interesting, I never really noticed this before, but a lot of these albums that I'm just so used to hearing, I've never really sat down and analyzed. So when I do these review shows, it's kind of interesting for me too, because I'm hearing things that I've never really paid attention to. And it seems like the vocals are slightly underneath the guitars in this one. And it could just be a frequency thing, but uh, the vocals do seem slightly quiet. I love the the layering of uh, Graham's voice in this too. I think it sounds fantastic, but it's a very powerful song. Ted McKenna's drums sound really powerful on this album too, and and especially this song. Uh, I feel like they just bring out so much in in it. Uh, Great rhythm on the bass. It's it's just a great sounding song. But you know, you don't want to hear my opinion. How about uh, Samurai? Oh, Samurai was... uh... I remember Michael writing the tune and coming to me, what about something like this going, summer nights, la, 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 la. It was summer nights. And I said, well, it's a bit, uh, I don't know, <laughs> it's a bit poppy sound, summer nights. And uh, I thought, oh, I know what I'll do. I changed to Sam, so I got a book about the samurai. I do this, <laughs> something I do, it's kind of a bit that. But I, I don't know anything about anything. I'll read a bit and then pretend I know more about that subject than I do. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> which is a good trick because people say, "How the fuck do you know about all that stuff?" <laughs> I take snippets of what it is and you know register them. So I've got a book about the samurai: how he looks to the sky, holds his sword, looks to the sky before he kills somebody or whatever. You know, samurai, you you live to die, and that's basically what they they do: they live to die. They, they they're ready for to be chopped up or whatever. Whole bit, but he looks to the sky as a you know, please help me, whatever they say. Mm-hmm. I yeah. love the chorus on uh, the way that the vocals sound on the chorus, especially with what Ted McKenna was playing, uh, just works so well together. It's, it's, you know, I, I hate to sound like every song to me is a magical song on this album, but it is. I mean, every song has real meaning to me on this album. And uh, that, that is kind of the hook for me is the chorus. Wow. Well, you know? I, uh, it, when you never think people are going to say such great things like you're doing now, it's such a, you know, it's, very flattering. It's like, well, wait a minute. You know, I just wrote this fucking song or something. But then again, when I think back at it, it took a lot of work. It took a lot of work. And so a lot of my brain went into these songs. It really did. And then the body energy afterwards of singing the bloody things, you know, yeah. the feel, you know, got me just so. And Martin Birch was like one of the best singers, um, uh, singers, one of the best engineers, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. As well as being a great producer. Mm-hmm. You know, he just said he was good with vocals, he was good with everything. And he was yeah. saying, no, Andre, he's singing it right, singing it too nicely. Do a bit of, you know, bit of edge. Okay, yeah. So, and then he say, oh, not that much. You know, <laughs> take it back a notch. Right. Sometimes I'll really go for it and over the top. I'll be out of living like fucking crazy. Uh, but, um, that album I'm very proud of. And uh, that song uh, turned out great. Now, I'm not talking about harmonies here, but but I always thought that you doubled your tracks in the studio. But when I hear you live, you sound like you're doubling your voice. Yeah. Is that well, just your natural sound? Uh, yeah, well, it depends if the other guys are singing with me. <laughs> well, sure, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I mean, even um, even when you're singing verses, your voice just sounds yeah. so thick. Oh, I don't know about that. Well, I mean, there's something, well, maybe it's a hidden... Uh, Frequency or something, I don't know. <laughs> it could be, yeah. It's thick. It's, uh, you know, um, we're using the microphone now, I can't think what it's called, but it picks up everything, every little, every little smack of the lips and the whole fucking thing. Mm-hmm. Yes, the MIDI sound, you know, everything. You can hear my chest, 
know what I'm saying? You get right. the chest voice, and it's fucking incredible. So that's a great compliment. Some some people, uh, when we did, uh, what do you call it? Oh, since you've been gone, um, Richie, when he heard it, he said, how the hell are we going to do all these harmonies live, uh, Roger? You know, and uh, Roger said, people will hear them even though they're not there. You know. That's true. So, which is, it is true. Um, and we sang it without no harmony whatsoever. We tried Don and Rog one night, and it was it wasn't very good. <laughs> not, the, not exactly the best of singers, but uh, they did try. And then we tried a thing uh, called a boat boat coder or something. Which yeah. Like a disc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We tried that thing, and of course, then it comes out sounding Chinese. Yeah. It doesn't, move. it doesn't do semitones and flats and sharps. It just does the Chinese. You know. You know. It's a you know, so say a G and an A flat together or whatever, you know. So it does sound Chinese. Very strange. But uh, they did try, the boys tried, but it just sounded awful. We had to play, we had to play the live show back to them one day and said, okay, yeah. film from now on, you know. And, and as soon as the you know the people get to know the song well enough, they're just going to sing it along with you anyway. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, absolutely. But the audience sings the buddy harmonies for us. Yeah, it's great. Great, because they How- take... No, that's the harmony. That's not the lead vocal, but you know, sing it, fuck it. Yeah, it, it sounds good. They're into it. Yeah, yeah. You know, there is a story of when uh, in Deep Purple, Ian Gillen in the 70s came down with hepatitis. It kind of went through the band. And when Ian Gillen got it and couldn't sing, they did a gig where Roger tried to fill in on vocals. And he said uh, it wasn't good enough to ever say that he actually sang for Deep Purple. Uh, but I will say that I thought Roger's voice on his album, The Mask, was perfect. But he wrote it, I think, for his voice, which does make a lot of sense. But that's another great album if you guys want to check that out, The Mask by Roger Glover. Now, I know what you guys are thinking. I'm really good at segues in this episode. So here's another one for you. When I first heard this album, it was when I was growing up in Detroit. I was probably, I'm going to say 12, 13, somewhere in that age bracket. And uh, that was in the city. You know, we, we were probably about 30 minutes or so outside of Detroit. And now I live in the desert. And this is a perfect time to listen to Desert Song. Told you I was good at segues. So that isn't even the end of the intro. It goes on into a whole nother part as it builds the song to the first verse and where Graham starts singing. But I'm not going to play you Graham singing on this one. I'm going to say, you know, this is an album that you're probably going to want to check out if you aren't familiar with it already. So enjoy the surprises of his voice when you get to that song. But he did have something to say about the song. The other one was came out of the blue was um, Desert Song. Uh, Michael said to me, They've got some words for this. I don't know. And he said, anything will do. This was in the re- rehearsal room, and I just wrote that out like in, I don't know, not very long, about two hours, I think. And he had to ask me what uh, Dusky Lady meant. I said, it was dark. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, the, some of these songs, that, that turned out really good, even though it was like a silly, not a silly lyric, but very, for me, very quick, quickly written. You know, I usually take 
God a week or whatever on a song. Well, do, you, do you find that you overthink what you do a little bit sometimes? If you just yeah. write down what you feel and let it out, it's good. But yeah, you start to, yeah I do that too with with music, yeah. especially. Um, <laughs> it is, yeah. Uh, but I, I I love Desert Song. It's such a patient song too. You know, it's it's really uh, more of an epic tale that that it's told in in the musical sense because it's not just here's the verse, here's the chorus. It's really yeah. a journey that you take on that song. Yeah, I agree absolutely, and that's what uh, I'm talking about. The song should be a story. Mm-hmm. You know, that's another thing about Cozy. You know, when he knew the song, he played the fucking song. You know, if he'd been more into this, you know, like later when the vocal was on it, the Down to Earth album, he would play the song. He wouldn't say, "Oh, look how look at the great fills I could do," whatever. Like mm-hmm. you know, he did on earlier albums. You know, look at all my technical shit. He would play. The, he would play the fucking song. That's the way he did it on stage. Always. He would pull back when I, as soon as I pulled back on something, he would go with me. You know, he'd play, he'd play the fucking song. It is yeah. played on, but you know what I'm saying. He oh, had, absolutely. Yeah. He, he, song, knew how, he knew how to play with the band. Exactly. He yeah. played the song. You know, now we're going to get to one of my uh, favorite songs on the album. Now, when I say that I love every song on this album, that's genuine. From the first time I heard it, there is not a single track that I went, eh. you know, every one of them hit me in one way or another. But this song, I would say, uh, is probably the one that I've listened to the most, either this or Assault Attack, uh, but that's because I've uh, horribly tried to sing that song way too many times. But uh, this song, uh, there's just so many great elements in this song. There's some really good grooves in it. Uh, The end of it is just fantastic, the way that it carries out. Some great vocals, some great harmonies in there. This song just, it it checks all the boxes for me that it possibly could. And here's a little bit of Broken Promises. Broken Promises is another favorite of mine. I I just love the progression of this song. I love your vocal, especially at the end of the song, the way that you uh, you know carry out the the notes and change pitches. Uh, it's such a powerful song to me. It's one I could as soon as I'm done listening to it, I just listen to it again. Oh, okay. Well, thank you for that too. Uh, I my cousin Trevor, who was in the Marvels at back in 1968 with me, uh, he wrote a song. Later on, after we finished singing together and playing together, called Broken Promises. I thought, so I nicked a title. And so I pitched that from him and took my cousin's song title. And I thought, well, okay, Broken Promises, what the hell is this about? So I had to think about uh, the girls splitting up with his, you know, with, with him or whatever. It took a while to actually put something together. And the melody came pretty easy. The, the words were the hard part, you know, getting that right. Yeah. I think I had a part of the melody first, then I wrote some words to uh, fit in Broken Promises. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, your program, my name is You're the right kind of love. Get down and all that. You know, my Otis Redding impersonation. But, you know. <laughs> but it's it's also when when you say uh, like um, uh, I, I'm trying to think of the, the lyric now. I just had it in my head. But but even even during the verses, your placement, the patience that you have where you place the words when you're singing the verses, I mean, everything brings out dynamics. And that song is one that, I mean, from start to finish, I'm just like, there. you could not have done anything better with that. Oh, well, well thank you. I mean, yeah, yeah. that's all holding back and singing the song, playing the song. There you go. You know, what we talked song. about. Yeah. yeah. And you don't, you don't comment on the one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you. you. Come out two and a half or something daft like that. Do a cozy. You know, oh my God, yeah. Yeah. Well, Bethany, I mean, you, you perked up when I brought up this song. Did you have a, a thought on it? I don't, that whole album just blows me away. And it was so challenging. You know, Chris Glenn has this uh, anomaly of, he pointed it out to me, he said, how many different, count how many uh, knuckles you have, like how many spaces? And I'm like, one, two, three. He said, now count on me. And it was one, two, three, four. So he's got like ET fingers. Wow. There's, there, there is a term for what it is, and it, it occurs. I've met other people with it, but mm-hmm. when he, I have a picture of him going like this in his hands. I mean, they're so massive. So I just had to make up for it with speed, you know, like just shouldn't, it just, it was a lot of work, but yeah. I freaking love that album. It's so beautiful. It's such a, if you had, if I had to pick between Rainbow and Michael Schenker, the, the, his two albums, I, I don't think I could. They're both just pristine. Yeah, I would agree. They they both are are two of the albums that I, I don't know how to say it any better to say they really mean a lot to me, and they've they've been a huge influence on me as a musician and just as a fan of music. So that leads us to the last vocal song on the album called "Searching for a Reason." And this is one that just has such a good feel to it. You know, in a way, it kind of feels like, and and it makes sense with the lyric, but it it just kind of feels like there's, you know, a bunch of us that are just kind of like arm in arm and and just, you know, in the moment together and talking about, you know, the world being a better place and, and that sort of thing. And I've talked about that camaraderie on some other reviews before. And this one uh, really kind of feels like it has that same unity to me. Like it's not just Graham singing, but it's it's a group of people that are sharing an idea together. And I really like that because when you learn what it's about, it really makes sense. So let's listen to that a little bit. about life you know searching for why we all here and why um you know i can't think of exactly what it means but it is about just life random and, existential you know yeah why my bass player had four <laughs> knuckles and 
Yeah, on that one, I had five, I played five, five nickel, nickel knuckles. Yeah, it's some shimperies and yeah, we don't, we don't need to have this hurting. How we all hurt each other? Why can't we just, why can't we just get along? You know, so, you've heard that phrase before. That's well, that that, that goes back to what I said earlier. Why do we have to fight all the fucking time? Right. Like, why, why are we not just better people? Yeah. At this point. Yeah, that, that's basically it. Yes. Yeah. Very well, thank you guys so much. I, I really appreciate all your time. It's great hearing your insights onto these songs too, because for me, you know, I've heard the story of assault attack before, but I don't, I've never heard, you know, when people interview you, they always interview you about the same things, yeah. you know, and, and I really like to listen to those and go, okay, I'm not going to ask about any of that. Let's get into some other stuff. And, and to me, this album, it, it, like I said, it means so much to me. It's great to hear your insight on it. Um, it, it's such a fantastic album and thank you guys for, for making it because it's pretty incredible. And I love the book. I love born innocent. Um, I can't wait to hear the new stuff. I I'm really excited. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, not, not much more to go in, but it does sound what we have so far is, uh, you know, um, an equal songwriting, whatever levels as the first album as the first, uh, Graham Bonnet album. I think they had the same kind of quality. I, I think so. Okay. They said the rough, the roughs of, of some of them. Yeah, Good. I, yeah. I'm I'm super stoked. I I can only see you know greatness here, and plus having Don Airy on there. Oh my God! Yeah. yeah. I mean, track, yeah. Uh, we're doing track uh, his track. I don't know what the fuck he's called here, but we're doing that track right now. Do we have any working titles for any of these? We just kind of describe what. Yeah. Like, you know, well, I mean, Smoke on the Water was the Dan Dan song for the longest time. So. <laughs> that, was, that was the working title. Yeah. Uh, I, I, loved, I love Don Airy. You know, doing the You're Right oh, podcast, I'm, I'm so fascinated by him because when uh, Phil Lanzon's son had passed away, Don Airy stepped in and did a couple gigs on short notice with Heap. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah. this is such a heavy keyboard band. Yeah. How do you just walk in and say, okay, I can play all these songs? I mean, that yeah. that seems like such an impossible task. Mm. And and he well, did it with Purple when he had to fill in when, yeah. when John hurt his leg. How do you just do that? Because he's Don Airy. <laughs> I mean, he, yeah, I mean, he's Don, Don Lamont. I mean, he's classically trained. Just, just hearing him playing the fucking piano, forget all the electronic shit. Just yeah. to hear him play the piano is just like marvelous. I've, the times I've sat around, don't definitely have been there some of the time, but the times I've sat around when I've been at Don's house when I've been visiting England, you know, and play the piano, I'd have my acoustic and he's playing the piano. It's like, fuck it now. It's just huge. It's like a fucking orchestra in the way he plays. Mm-hmm. He's using every freaking note. The hands, wait, hey, wait a minute. Well, you see what he does on stage. He's playing like two keyboards at a time. Yeah. That kind of shit. His, his brain is, I don't know how he does it. You know, I could have easily gone on talking to these two all day. I had slotted the interview for 45 minutes and we ended up talking for two hours, which was fantastic. Such generous and wonderful people. Thank you both, Graham and Bethany, for uh, taking so much time with me and for coming on the show, for talking about the songs and telling us what's going on. Definitely keep tabs on you guys. And now we're going to get into the last song on the album. It's an instrumental called Ulcer. This is, uh, you know, it's another shuffle, but it's a faster shuffle, and uh, it's a great instrumental. There's some really cool parts in it, um, a great snare build 
from Ted McKenna that I've always enjoyed. Uh, just a fantastic song. I used to play this one a lot as a drummer. My brother and I would do this. And uh, it was just a fun song to play. You know, as that part develops again later in the song, there's some really nice, subtle, but important ride work that Ted McKenna plays on it. Uh, just fantastic. But kudos to everybody on the album. It's a fantastic album from the writing to the performances, to the recording, to the mixing. I mean, you got Martin Birch behind the desk. <laughs> You're going to get a great sounding album. There's just no two ways about it. But this has been so much fun. Uh, a great trip down memory lane, but also uh, education lane, because I learned so much about the songs and how they came to be and uh, just some great stuff. So thank you guys for joining me for another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I'll be back next week with another musical guest that, you know, I, I knew he had a pretty interesting career, but I had no idea the depths of it until we got into the interview. So you'll hear that one next week. And then the following week, I've got a multi-part episode from another band that is uh, fairly new to me, but has grown quickly on me. So we got a lot of great stuff coming up on the show, guys. Take care. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great week and check out Graham Bonnet. Check out Bethany Heavenstone. Uh, their music is is just incredible. They're such passionate and dedicated people. I, I obviously cannot stop saying enough about them. So I'm going to stop. Have a great week, guys. We'll see you next week. Cheers. <laughs>